The reading today is from Luke 4, 21 through 30, and I'm using the Pew Bible today. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here also in your own country. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his own country. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when there came a great famine all over the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elijah, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and put him out of the city and led him to the brow of a hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down headlong. But passing through the midst of them, he went away. So here we have Jesus going home, visiting his home church. At first things are going well, but... Then somewhere along the line, things go south and they run him out of town, try to throw him off a cliff. Thank goodness we're not like that around here. You know how hard it must have been for Jesus to come home and to stand up and offer a message that he knows will challenge the people that he grew up with, people who shaped him, who taught him Sunday school, who were there when he, when he passed catechisms or, or did his bar mitzvah uh, would be more appropriate. And, you know, I never thought about it until I was reading this text in preparation, but I can imagine that it was quite difficult for Jesus to step in there and break apart some of the illusions that people had about, first of all, who Jesus was and Second of all, what God was doing in the world around him. Our text today is the second part of a text we read last week in which Jesus quoted Isaiah 61. And he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind and to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and then Jesus stops and he rolls up the scroll and he sits down and he says, Today in your hearing, this scripture has been fulfilled. And even at this point, Jesus was still kind of local boy made good, right? Oh, look at Jesus. He, see, he speaks so well and uh, you know, has such great insights and an understanding, and everyone is speaking well of him. But then things start to go south. First of all, he does a weird thing. He left off the part of the day of vengeance on the last part of that text he's reading in Isaiah 61. I don't know if they just thought he skipped it or whatever, but he left out the part where God exacts vengeance upon the enemies of Israel. In Isaiah. Uh, at first they thought, well, maybe he's just, you know, pressed for time, but 
We start to realize Jesus was very deliberate about that because then people begin to ask for some miracles. Hey, we hear you did great things up in Capernaum. Let's see, let's see some of that. Do a couple of your, you know, tricks there. Show us what you can do. Let's, let's see the whole show. And then Jesus begins to talk about prophets of old. And this is what makes them mad. Maybe we look at it and we go, I don't know what they're so angry about. But what Jesus starts to talk about is how in the days of Elijah and Elisha, they did miracles, but not in Israel. They did miracles in foreign lands and amongst foreign people. Elijah raised the dead, but it was not a Hebrew child that was raised, but a Sidonian. And it was not a Hebrew general that was cured of leprosy by Elisha, but a Syrian who was the mortal enemy of Israel at the time. Now, we might look at this and think that this is just Jesus not wanting His ministry to be all about miracles, not wanting to have to do tricks in order to get people's attention. But what really seemed to be going on here is that the people of the synagogue, what they heard Jesus saying is that all those things, blessed are, you know, the, the, the good news to the poor and freedom to the captives and all of that business, what they heard Jesus saying is that that was not for the Hebrew people alone, but for everybody. In Israel and outside of Israel. Among the Hebrews and outside the Hebrews. Among the Gentiles too. And this explains why Jesus left off the vengeance part of Isaiah. Because as they understood it, the Messiah was going to come and was going to bring vengeance. And they were angry at this notion because they were people like who felt like they had a little vengeance coming. They'd been an oppressed people for a long, long time from various factions, from the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Macedonians, and now the Romans are all oppressing the Jewish people. And so a little vengeance was something they were hanging on to. In their mind, it wasn't vengeance, it was justice. For them, the Messiah was going to bring peace and all this good news to the poor and such, but along with that, He was going to bring sweet, sweet revenge. Revenge on all the enemies of God's people. Revenge on the Romans. Revenge on the Syrians. Revenge on the Egyptians. Revenge on everybody who had ever thought wrong about anyone in Israel. Ooh, it's going to be a good day. The great and terrible day of the Lord. And it would be Israel that would be on top. Not the Romans. And everyone else would have to bow to their will. Well, you and I both know this is not the kind of Messiah Jesus was. This was not what Jesus came to proclaim or to do. Jesus just blew it all open and left out retribution and replaced it with a heart for the people left on the outside, the poor, the imprisoned, the hungry, and even the Gentiles. Oh, I can hear people talking after He disappoints them with this. I knew when He left here that His mind would get filled with a bunch of crazy ideas, hanging out with those hippies up in Capernaum thinking all kinds of weird things. 
Oh, he had so, oh, Jesus had so much potential. What happened? He's trying to tear us down. He's trying to come in here and change things the way they've always been. What a disappointment he turned out to be. Well, it had to be hard for Jesus, I think, to come home and to disappoint the people he grew up with. You know, I, I, uh, I recently had a conversation with someone who, who was instrumental in my Christian conviction and in my upbringing and, and my Christian understanding. And in fact, this person was like family, like a big brother. Uh, I lived with them, you know. And this person confronted me. They've been on my Facebook page, and I guess up until then, it, it was a kind of a well kept secret that I was a bleeding heart liberal. Uh, progressive pastor, but they, he'd been on my Facebook page and discovered a few things, and he started to confront me about some of those things, in particular, my view on homosexuality and, and wondering, you know, how can you be accepting of gay people and call yourself a Christian? And you know, when we had swapped a couple of scriptures back and forth, both of us, you know, giving a scripture to back up our perspective and me wondering how he can call himself a Christian and not accept gay people, this person expressed just the great disappointment that they had with me and how they felt like they had lost another one. And now, you know, rather than seeing me as a partner in ministry as, the, as he had all these years, I'm seen as someone who has forsaken the gospel for something else. And even now, I feel certain that this person prays for me often and holds me in prayer, and yet they do not pr- pray for the success of this ministry here. And they do not pray that we thrive as a church or that my efforts as a pastor would be blessed of God, but they pray, I'm sure, that I would come to see things clearly and rightly and come back to the fold. You know, and the real difficulty, I've got to be honest with you, if, if you're thinking that I'm the victim here, the real, when I'm honest with myself, quite frankly, I wish this person would come to see the light as well, <laughs> right? And embrace an inclusive biblical faith like mine, for example. Believe me, I'm just as bothered by his theology as he is bothered by mine. I just don't want to argue about it anymore. And it kind of makes me sad. I think about Jesus in this situation of being a grave disappointment to the point that they thought He was blaspheming. To the point that they said, He has offended God so much we should run Him over a cliff. And Jesus, that had to be hurtful. That had to hurt. And, you know, I'm kind of sad because Luke records, never records Jesus going back to his hometown ever again. The headquarters is in Capernaum. They move to Jerusalem. And he never goes home again. I think it's very sad. 
And it makes one wonder, what are the limits of tolerance for different ideas? On the one hand, we are and we must be a place where plurality of thought is honored and preserved. In fact, that's one of our core values as a church, isn't it? Amen? We love having so many different ideas and perspectives. We love arguing about these things. Amen? Nothing like a good grapple, grappling over a theological issue. We love it. And we must be able to respect differences. We must be open to hearing dissenting opinions and ideas that are contrary to our own convictions. We must learn to be comfortable with the notion that there are many paths that lead to truth. And yet we are also called to be a community that stands up for things that our faith tells us are important. There are things that we need to be together on and stand up for. We must be a place where we are shaped by our biblically tempered values. And we must be bold and courageous in standing on the side of Christ as we collectively understand it. And so we live in this tension of being respectful and and allowing room for different ideas and tolerating different concepts, and yet feeling like we got to come together and do something for Christ. Amen? I feel that urge. I guess what that means is that this needs to be a place where we can talk about the hard things. You know, sometimes tolerance looks like Sometimes tolerance looks like we don't, we don't talk about stuff. Right? Let's just not talk about that. You know? uh, and if we don't talk... In fact, I, I come from a church in Seattle where people loved each other so much they just didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> right? they, they valued each other so much. The last thing they would want to do is to ever get into a conversation that would be confrontational or objectionable because they loved each other that much. But what it meant was that they had kind of a, they, did, they weren't able to talk about things and they weren't able to be shaped by each other's thoughts and faith and value. We need to be a place that talks about the hard things, life and death, the nature of humanity, sin and grace, heaven and hell, pluralism in society. And even now, I know that within these topics, our church runs the spectrum. We have all those different ideas and concepts everywhere from left to right and everything in between what about things like racism classism consumerism we got to talk about these things right what kind of church doesn't what about capital punishment suicide laws abortion yes we got to talk about those those are terribly con- uh, uh, controversial thank you i appreciate that those are terribly controversial but where, where else but in church should we be able to talk about these things? Homosexuality, marriage, gender issues, and the roles of men and women. we got to talk about them. Poverty, wealth, addiction, war. we got to be able to talk about these things. And the challenge is to find the ability to discuss these difficult topics without it feeling like there are winners and losers and there are those who are right and those who are wrong. And you must come around to our kind of thinking. Right? We must be a place where we are comfortable with our plurality and we trust it to bring us to a place of collective conviction 
and unity in action. We have an incredible diversity here. A diversity of ages, of life experiences, of backgrounds, of values, things that are important to us. And the reality of diversity is that it is often hard to find common ground. It's often hard to rally around something. And yet we are able to come together and unify on issues all the time. Controversial ones all the time. How is that? I think the kids hit it. The secret is love. It's being in a loving, trusting relationship. It's clear that they did not have that in Jesus' home. That love did not trump their differences. Jesus could have done a few miracles. I mean, what would be the harm? You know, feed everyone off of the off of one donut at coffee hour. You know, a little miracle. You know, something like that. Heal someone of their backache or something. You know, it doesn't have to be a big flashy thing. But he didn't. Of course, they could have said, "Wow, you know, Jesus, these are new ideas, and I'm not sure we are ready for them." But help me understand where you are coming from. Or they could have just said, man, you are way off base. But I love you anyway. And you're always welcome here. Doesn't that sound like Jane Nelson? (laughs) I was just channeling Jane there for a minute. You are so off base, but I love you anyway. She says that to me all the time. (laughs) And you are always welcome here. They could have done that. You know, we should never shy away from difficult discussions. Like what color to paint the wall. The, you know, the, it is not a universal understanding of things. There, may be, there were many times in the history of this church where difficult discussions were the last thing we should have done. It's not always the case. Yet, when we can have those dialogues and those conversations, when we are healthy, when we are in a good place, when we can have those talks on a bedrock of loving, trusting relationships, and when our honest desire is not to win, but to collectively seek the heart of Christ, then it is a crucial component of discerning God's vision for who we are as a church. We must be able to share our convictions in our hearts and grapple with the really difficult theological, social, political, environmental, economical things in the world and help and together allowing our faith to shape us in the way we live out our lives. Let us pray. Loving and gracious God, We know that sometimes it's hard to live in plurality and to have such a diversity here and to have dissenting opinions. Sometimes it would be nice if we all just agreed on everything and were exactly alike. And yet, we know that it's hard not to have those conversations. That we would be a pretty weak church if not for our ability to rally around each other in spite of our disagreements and to love each other beyond those things that separate us. 
And we know that the tension of differing ideas and differing perspectives and different approaches to you are what make our congregation strong. Help us learn to do this and do it well. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.